get started. All right. Brother Harold, how are we looking back there? We got it good? Okay. Well, if you're joining us by way of live stream, welcome to our afternoon service. And uh, all I got to say is you missed a good lunch. <laughs> wow, was that good. And uh, I'm just praying that everybody will stay awake during the preaching now. So I may fall asleep. That would be pretty bad. If I do, Brother Dan will just have to tag team with me and we'll you just keep right on going, Brother. I'll just be over here snoring. But uh, anyway, had a great time of fellowship and, boy, a delicious lunch. Thank you, ladies, for helping with that. Uh, just excellent. And I told somebody, I, we got to quit eating like this. I'll be 500 pounds. And uh, that's not a good thing. So let's take our songbooks, if you will. Number 256. Number 256, it is well with my soul. You can remain seated all four verses this morning, this afternoon, I guess. <clears throat> when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Satan should buffet, though trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and i bear it no more praise the lord praise the lord oh my soul it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. 
and even so it is well with my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul amen what a blessing amen and uh, I'll tell you, I'm thankful I'm saved and on my way to heaven. And uh, the peace that that brings, boy, it's something the world can't quite understand. But uh, I'm so grateful that we have it. Let's bow our heads in prayer and ask for the Lord's blessing on the service. Father, we're coming to you and we pray that you'll bless the time that we spend together this afternoon. We're grateful for the sweet time of fellowship that you allowed us to have with one another, the food that you provided and those that so graciously worked to supply it for us. We pray that you'll bless the service this afternoon, and Lord, speak to our hearts. I pray that you'll draw us close to you, and Lord, may our hearts be uh, lifted up as we leave here this afternoon. Lord, I pray that we can rejoice having been here, that we can say it has been good to have been in the house of the Lord. Lord, may you encourage us through the preaching of your word, through the time that we spend together with each other. And uh, Lord, as we sing these songs, I pray that you would help us to sing from our hearts the praise that you are so worthy of. And so, Father, we do pray that you bless all that we say and do here, that it will bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Number 257, just right across the page. Tis so sweet, isn't it? To trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take Him at His word just to rest upon His promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust His cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, Oh, for grace to trust Him. I think as I sing that chorus, it talks about uh, how we trust Him, how we've proved Him more and more. And then at the end of it, the songwriter writes, Oh, for grace to trust Him more. As I read that, I think of uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, guy that came to Jesus and uh, said his son was sick and and uh, Jesus said, well, I'll come there. And he said, no, if you just speak the word, my son will be healed. And Jesus said, I've not seen great, so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And uh, he said, I believe. He said, help thou my unbelief. And even though we trust God, isn't it wonderful to know that we can always trust Him a little bit more? And the songwriter says, you know, I've proved Him more and more. I can trust Him. And it's so sweet. But oh, that we would have the grace to even trust Him more than we do now. And uh, 
I, I'm love, I love these songs when we sing. There's a lot of doctrine in them, isn't there? A lot of good Scripture in it. And uh, I want you to think about these words as we sing them. Yes, tis sweet on that third verse, to trust in Jesus. Think about the words of it as we sing that third verse together. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease. Just from Jesus, simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. I'm so glad. I learn to trust Thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Amen. Let's uh, sing one more. Let's uh, turn over the page, number 258. Number 258, He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. Another Fanny Crosby song. I love these words. Think about it as we sing about it today. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock That shadows a dry, thirsty land He hideth my life in the depths of His love And covers me there with His hand and covers me there with His hand. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. He taketh my burden away. He holdeth me up and I shall not be moved. He giveth me strength as my day. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock That shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with His hand. And covers me there with His hand. With numberless blessings each moment He crowns. And filled with His fullness divine. Think about this. 
I sing in my rapture, O glory to God, for such a Redeemer as mine. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with His hand and covers me there. On that fourth verse, I want you to think about this. One of these days, we're not going to have this old, this old corruptible body. Aren't you glad of that? We're going to have a, gl- a glorified body when clothed with His brightness, transported I rise to meet Him in clouds of the skies. Let's sing it together on that fourth verse. When clothed in His brightness, transported I rise to meet Him in clouds of the skies. His perfect salvation, His wonderful love, I'll shout with the millions on high. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with His hand and covers me there with His hand. I'm ready for that day to happen, aren't you? I'd be happy if it happened today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I, I was preaching on the rapture one time years ago, and my brother plays the trumpet, my younger brother, and I almost put him in the baptistry, and at a certain point I was just going to have that trumpet play, and I thought, no, as sure as I do, there's going to be some people here panicking because they're still sitting here when that trumpet sounds. <laughs> uh, but, you know, isn't it going to be a wonderful day? We look forward to that. I was talking, uh, I think, to Brother Jim here a little bit ago about the... Uh, seeing Him come back in the clouds and meeting the Lord in the air. Oh, what a day that's going to be. And I hope it happens in my lifetime. I don't mind going by way of death, but boy, could you imagine how exciting it'd be to go in the rapture. Whew, boy, that'd be something, wouldn't it? And uh, that'd be an exciting day. And I'll, I don't know about you all, as I look at what's happening in the world today, I think we're just moments away in the light of eternity. I think we are on the last moments of the last days. And uh, with that, ought to be exciting. We ought not be nervous about it. ought to be excited about it. But we also ought to be convicted about it. We've got an awful lot of work to do and a very short time to do it. Even if God tarries in uh, uh, His coming and we, we die, we go through death, uh, we still have a very short time, don't we? Life is so short. And um, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2 this afternoon. Titus chapter number 2, and um, we're going to look at uh, what we ought to be doing now and uh, give you a few things from Scripture that the Bible tells us what we ought to be doing now. And uh, the Sunday afternoon services, what we've tried to do for the last probably seven or eight months 
is uh, give very practical lessons and um, some how-to things from Scripture. Uh, a lot of times we preach on the why and uh, that we ought to do this, we ought to, we ought to do that, but we don't always teach on how we accomplish some of that. And so um, we're going to try to uh, use Scripture today to show us some things that we can be doing practically today, right now, while we're waiting on the coming of the Lord. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. By the way, aren't we glad of that? God did not elect some to be saved and some to go to hell. He gave His grace to all men. Men choose to go to heaven. Now, God has foreknowledge, and I understand that. But He has not dictated or uh, decreed that some people die and go to hell and some people go to heaven. He gives men uh, a choice, and I'm thankful that His grace appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this afternoon, and may it be an encouragement to us and a help to us. Speak to our hearts, and I pray that you would help us to take heed to the things that we will hear, that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct us, help us to understand it, and that the truth of this passage will be brought to light in our hearts with great understanding. I pray that you would help us to rightly divide your word. And for the next few moments, I pray that you would help to keep distraction and uh, burdens away from our hearts. After eating a, a, such a wonderful meal, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to stay alert and our minds to stay engaged in the preaching and the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to look first of all, if you will, in verse number 14. And uh, verse number 14, God gives us here uh, the reason that he gave himself. Uh, we talk a lot about the fact that he gave himself so that he could redeem mankind. And I'm thankful that he did that. Uh, I'm thankful that he paid a price that I could not pay. The best I had to offer him were filthy rags, and uh, there was no way I could earn my way to heaven. And um, you know, the Bible tells us, For by grace are ye saved, in Ephesians chapter 2, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. One of the differing things uh, about the Baptist faith or Baptistic faith and those that do not believe uh, along the same doctrine that we do, is that we believe it's faith alone. And many other places believe that it is faith plus works. And in other words, after we have done all we could, then God gives enough grace to make up the difference. We believe that there is none good, no, not one, that there is nothing good of ourselves that we can bring to God and say this merits eternal life. And if we are going to have eternal life, it's going to be through Him and Him alone and not by any effort on our parts. And uh, so we find that He comes for uh, two reasons in verse number 14. One is to redeem us from all iniquity. And aren't you glad of that? That kind of puts to, uh, to rest the idea of losing your salvation. Because the truth is, when Christ died on Calvary, all of our sin was future sin at that point. So God takes care of the past, the present, and the future sin when we put our faith and trust in Him. He redeems us from all iniquity. But notice this, and this is one that we don't spend a whole lot of time uh, talking about as far as the purpose of Christ coming to this earth. 
we do believe that we ought to be serving God after we're saved, but oftentimes we don't tie it to one of the purposes that He came. But notice it says that He gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify us unto, unto Himself, I'm sorry, a peculiar people zealous of what? Good works. So this afternoon we're going to take, the, and I think we all have this idea and this mindset. We understand this when we get saved. We ought to be serving the Lord. I'm a big proponent of serving God out of a heart of love. And if we're serving out of obedience and obedience alone, then we are missing some of the joy of serving God. If you can't serve out of love for Him, then certainly serve out of obedience. But how much more uh, wonderful it is when we serve not because we have to, but because we get to. Uh, I shared a couple weeks ago, uh, when, when you're obligated to do something, it's not near as fun, is it? Uh, you, that, that electric bill comes in the mail. You have to write the check. Uh, you don't get overthrilled, <laughs> overjoyed with that. You don't start dancing around the house and getting excited. Boy, I get to pay my electric bill. But uh, if you have children and uh, Christmas time or birthday time comes and you pull the checkbook out, you write something, and, man, your heart is thrilled to do it for them because you love them. There's a love there that motivates. It's not because of obligation. And can I tell you this? So often I think we miss some of the joy of serving because we only serve out of obedience. We feel like, boy, I just, oh, God has commanded me to do it, so I have to do it. I, Pastor, it's rough, and, and, you know, but, but you know, I've got to be faithful. The Bible says I've got to be faithful. I've got to be steadfast. And, oh, I, you know, the commands are there. There's no excusing them, so I guess I better obey. If there's no other thing that motivates you to do that, then do it because God did command us and out of obedience. But can I tell you, we miss some of the greatest joy of the Christian life when we serve God that way. Because the Bible says we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. When the Samaritan came upon the man that had been beaten half to death, he didn't take the man and bind his wounds and pay a price simply because he had to. He did it because he was moved with compassion. His heart was stirred as he looked upon him. Can I tell you this? When it comes to serving God, uh, when he separates unto himself a peculiar people, there ought to be a zealousness of good works, not a reluctance of good works. This idea of zealousness and excitement, a, a, a thrill, a joy, uh, every once in a while, Something will happen in your life that you've wanted to happen for a long time. And uh, have you ever noticed sometimes the anticipation is almost better than getting it? Uh, I remember as a kid, I lived in Florida, uh, and Disney World was growing, was getting started and back when it was still pretty wholesome and families used to go to it and everything. And uh, that was a big thing. And if mom and dad ever said we were going to Disney World, I mean, for months we looked forward to it. And then the day came, and we had fun on the day, but when it was over, it was almost a letdown. Because now we don't have anything to look forward to. And uh, so oftentimes, uh, we, we lose the excitement or the zeal of serving God, that anticipation uh, of wanting to do, boy, I wonder what God's got next for me. I wonder what opportunity He's going to bring my way. We wake up in the morning, and I wonder if we think with joy in our hearts, boy, I can't wait to see what God is going to do today in my life. I can't wait to see who He's going to bring across my path or who I'm going to accidentally. <laughs> you ever notice that? coincidentally bump into to share the gospel with. There was a fellow years ago that wrote a book that our church in Florida printed, and uh, the title of the book was Divine Appointments. 
and how many times in his life he could see God's hand at work in bringing people across his path that he had opportunity to share the gospel with. Can I tell you this? There ought to be a zeal. One of the reasons that Christ came was not just to save us, but to separate unto himself, notice this, purify unto himself a peculiar people. What makes us peculiar is because we have a zealousness to serve. <laughs> That's not typically the right response for man. Most people that are, that are obligated to serve don't have a zealousness for it. Uh, but we are because we serve out of love. There's something peculiar about us, that there's a zealousness to works. And, and so we ought to be excited about it. And I want to say this. I, I'm, I'm getting kind of tired living in the day that we live in uh, at seeing God's people with no joy. Have you ever noticed that? There's some people you just don't ever ask them how they're doing. You don't want to take the time because you know it's going to go on and on and on. And it's sad to say. I, there was a lady years ago, and I've shared this a few times, uh, years ago that worked at the DMV. And every time I had to take, uh, and we had a lot of buses and vehicles at the church, I was always down there, it seemed like, at the DMV. And she always tried to make it a point to have me come to her window. And her name was Sandy. She didn't come to our church, but she was a Christian. She went to another church in town, good church. And every time I went there, I knew it was going to take a good hour and a half to get whatever done, whatever I needed done. Not because it was going to take an hour and a half to do it. It only took about five minutes to do it. But she was going to talk, and I'm not kidding you. From the moment she saw me, she'd say, Hey, Brother Greg, and immediately start talking about how good God was. And for the next hour, I would stand there and, and we would talk about how good God was. She was so bubbling over and excited. I thought, man, you ever, you ever meet somebody that's a Christian and they're just a joy to be around them? That's the way every Christian ought to be. There ought to be a zealousness. You know, the, the problem many times in our lives is we lose our zeal. We lose the excitement. We don't have any problems uh, going to a sporting event or going to some hobby that we like and making a complete fool out of ourselves sometimes with how we respond. We'll jump up and we'll shout and we'll cheer and we'll laugh and we'll cry and we'll spit and sputter, throw things at the, the people. I mean, it's crazy what people do nowadays. All for a game of some guys down there throwing a ball around somewhere. And then we can't get excited about what God has done for us and what He's done for others. We lose the zeal, we lose the excitement, we lose the joy. This is one of the reasons that God came, was not only to redeem us, but to purify unto Himself a peculiar people. You and I ought to be peculiar. There ought to be something different about us. doesn't mean we have to be strange in, the, in a weird way, but there ought to be something that when people look at you and when people look at me, they look and say, boy, there's just something different there. A peculiar people. What makes them peculiar is they're zealous of good works. They don't do good works because they have to. They don't walk around in the mully groves, well, oh, I guess I better do this, the Bible says. And I've met people like that. And almost people think they're spiritual because they feel like they're suffering to serve. Can I tell you this? There's great joy in serving. There's a zealousness that comes with it. So that being the case, the fact that He came to redeem us, the fact that He came to purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, with that in mind, then what are you and I supposed to be doing while we're waiting on the return of Christ or of the death that's going to bring us to heaven? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, okay? So we're going to give it to you. 
We find this a list of things given. Again, probably not an exhaustive list. We could probably go through Scripture and find even more. But we find some things here that Paul writes to Titus. And he says, In the meantime, while you're waiting for the return of Christ, with the zealousness, with the joy of your salvation, with the joy in serving God, here are some things that ought to be notable in your life while we're waiting. So let's take a look at them. The first one is found in verse number 12. Let's go back up to verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, and this grace that has appeared to all men teaches us, that's what verse number 12 is speaking of here, it's referring back to the grace of God, teaching us that, here's the first one, denying ungodliness. Boy, we're living in a day and age where there needs to be a revival of denying ungodliness. And uh, this ought to be something that is notable in a Christian's life. This is part of what will make us peculiar. That when ungodliness happens around us, we don't just laugh and chuckle at it and say, oh, that's cute. There's something about it that we say, no, no, that ought not happen. That ought not be. The Bible teaches us in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives the similitudes, that you and I are to be the salt of the earth, but we are to be a salt that has savor to it and not one that has lost its savor. And even though many Christians today name the name of Christ, and I truly believe some of them have by faith trusted Christ as their Savior, but that's as far as they've ever gone in their Christian life. My dad used to say it this way many times from the pulpit. He said some people have just enough Christianity to make themselves miserable. Meaning, I've gotten saved, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, but I don't experience any of the joy of the Christian life. I've just stopped short. That's all the, that's all the further I've ever gone in my life. But all oh, that there would be a separation, a purification of our lives that cause us to be peculiar and zealous of good works. And when we do that, when there's a peculiarity to us, when there's a zealousness of good works, it's going to be represented by us denying ungodliness. To say there is not going to be any part of my life that I want associated with ungodliness. Now, the question comes up, will we always succeed in that? No, but it ought always be our heart's desire. I understand that we're still in this world and that the flesh nature still comes and still rears its ugly head up, and we still, many times, un, uh, uh, even though we ought not, we still choose many times to sin. But there ought be a, a conviction in the heart there ought to be, a, as we spoke of in Psalm 51, a broken and a contrite spirit. There are times that, that still I sin in my life, and, and to be honest with you, it probably happens on an hourly basis, knowing my heart. But doesn't it mortify us? Doesn't it sometimes even bring us to the point of tears and agony that, Lord, I can't believe I did that. I have, I have disappointed you. I brought sorrow to your heart. I have quenched your Holy Spirit. And I find that the times that I am most prone to not deny the ungodliness of life are the times that I have lost my zeal for good works. I've lost some of the joy of my salvation. By the way, that's why the psalmist said, Restore unto me. He didn't say, Give it to me. He had already had it and had lost it. He said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. 
You know it is possible for you and I to lose that zeal. It happens. And when we do, these things are not characteristic of our life. And as we spoke of this morning in Sunday school, let's, let's be careful that when we look at a list like this, we don't try to make it work externally. We're not trying to fit a square object into a round hole here and force it happen in our lives. This is something that we want to deal with in the heart and allow it to affect our efforts outwardly. So we find here that while we're waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ or for us going to Him, there ought to be a denying because the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, and it's taught us this, that denying ungodliness and, notice this, worldly lusts. Now, when we use that word lust, many times we think only of immorality in a, in a sexual sense or a, a gender type of a sense, but it's any appetite that this world has. There are appetites to forms of entertainment. There are appetites to, to uh, amusements and things in this world. There are appetites to uh, wealth and prosperity that this world offers. There's uh, appetites for fame and notoriety in this world. And so many things that Satan uses to entice us as Christians that would classify themselves as worldly lust. The Bible says that this grace of God that brings salvation teaches us that we're to be denying ungodliness and we're to be denying worldly lusts. Can we think of anything else in Scripture that talks about this? Maybe love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. You think that one might fit? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We understand that there's to be a denial. So what are we to be doing while we're waiting? Are we to just sit in our church services and come to our services three times a week and breathe in the good air and blow out the bad air and go home and live our week? There needs to be something peculiar about us. There needs to be a reviving of the zeal of our Christian life in us that causes us to have a denial of ungodliness and worldliness. Notice this, that we should live soberly. Boy, this would be well said of some people. To live soberly. It's amazing to me. I was, I was just talking just this week to a Christian young lady uh, that I know is saved. She's trusted Christ as much as I can know someone is saved. She gives a strong salvation testimony. I was just talking to her this week. And found out that there's uh, some, some things in her, in her mind and in her worldview of things that don't quite line up with what's going on in the world today. She's, she's missing what's going on around us. She's misunderstanding it. The Bible tells us that we're to walk circumspectly. There's to be a soberness about us. We're to be aware of what's going on. We don't go through life smiling and bouncing along and thinking, boy, everything is great and the world around us is growing worse and worse. But there needs to be a soberness to us to understand the conditions of our world because we're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. For that world. And there needs to be some maturity in our Christian lives to be able to understand the times that we live in. To be able to take and look at the world and then come to Scripture and read Scripture and understand the difference that's taking place here. To have discernment. The Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews that there are some that need to have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. 
We live in a day where there are many Christians that have been saved a number of years and ought to be mature enough to be able to do those things that I find, it's very difficult to say this, but find that many times they have to be spoon-fed about what's right and what's wrong. And there needs to be a soberness about us. There needs to be an idea that, you know what, I think there ought to be times that we enjoy life, that we have a time of rest. Even Christ would come apart sometimes in His ministry to rest and to have time with His disciples. And I understand there are times for that. But far too often we get so wrapped up in the affairs of this life that we don't take the time to see what's going on around us. We don't take the time to realize how depraved and how uh, 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 sinful this world is getting around us. And so we don't even know what to do to make a difference. Because we're not paying attention. We're not sober. We're not watchful. We kind of go through life with our heads stuck in the sand. We don't see what's going on. That we would be awakened. We would walk circumspectly. Teaching us the denying ungodliness, the worldly lust. We should live soberly. Notice this. We should live righteously. There's nothing wrong with living righteous. Amen? Let me rephrase that. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with living righteous. Amen? I'm getting a little nervous here. Well, Brother Greg, I don't think we ought to live righteous. Ought to live righteous. I know we just had lunch and it's warm in here. Can I tell you this? There needs to be a revival among God's people of righteous living. That's going to come as we deny some things. We're going to have to deny some of the appetites of our flesh. And one of the reasons we don't see the righteousness in God's people that we used to see is because we do not deny ourselves the pleasures of the flesh like we should. We do not deny ourselves the lusts of this world. And yet, it's because we have lost the zeal, the zealousness for the good works. And yet, this is what one of the reasons that Christ came. As much as we strongly hold that He came to redeem us, we need to also strongly hold this thing, that He came to, to purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, excited about it. I'm excited that I get to live righteous. <laughs> Don't always succeed at it. But it ought to bring joy to our hearts. There ought to be a zealousness for it. Righteously and godly, when people look at us, they ought to see a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we are His ambassadors. We are here to represent Him. In Matthew, Jesus said that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There needs to be a God-likeness to us. It used to be that the name and the word Christian meant little Christs or the Christ ones because they so emulated the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have interchanged the word Christian for saved. Can I tell you, they are two separate words. I know people that are saved that are not Christian. And may God help me not to be one of them. And may God help you not to be one of them. There needs to be a godliness about us. By the way, if we're going to be like God, <laughs> this goes without saying, but it needs to be said. We better know what God is like. So we better read about Him. We better spend time with Him. 
Because if we don't know what He's like, we're going to have a hard time being like Him. There needs to be a godliness. What are we supposed to be doing while we're waiting? Well, we're supposed to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We're supposed to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And then I want you to notice this. We're to live looking for the blessed hope. This ought to be one of the great motivating factors. That at any moment, the Lord Jesus Christ could come again. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be the first today. I'm a pastor of a church. I was raised in a Christian home. There are still days in my life that I'll jump out of bed and I'll go and I'll do my prayer time and my Bible time and I'll go through my day and I'll be honest with you, not one time that day did I expect God's coming back today. Didn't even give it any thought. And yet that's the way we ought to be living every day that God may come back today, I better be doing what He wants done. I hope I have that zeal. Can I tell you, that's one of the great battles of the Christian life. We struggle with it. We all struggle with that. There are still times that we do that. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And then we're going to see three more things here real quick, and I'll give them to you quickly and we'll be done. These things speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If there's the zealousness that ought to be there, we're excited about the fact that we're saved then we better be speaking about it, we better be exhorting about it, and we better be rebuking about it. There needs to be a, a proclaiming. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Uh, we live in a time where, uh, somebody used, coined a phrase uh, uh, years ago, that we have a lot of secret service Christians. <laughs> There's no such thing. We need to have Christians that are bold, that are zealous, that are excited the fact that Jesus saved them and they love Him so much that they want to go out here and share the gospel everywhere they go. There's going to require some zealousness. And in order for us to live the way that we ought to be living now, we cannot lose that zealousness. I believe, and if I, I may be wrong on this, and if I am, that's fine. I think uh, I'm just going to tell you my belief on this. I believe that when Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you. He wasn't saying you need to get this gift. He said it's already there. It just needs to be stirred up. Can I tell you, every single one of us have been given a great gift by the Lord Jesus Christ. And from time to time, and probably more often than we expect or think, we need to have some moments where we stir that up. And we say, I want to be zealous about this. I want to be... Here's, here's, a, here's a term the world uses. We might relate to it. I want to be fanatical about the things of the Lord. You say, Brother Greg, oh, I, the world will look at you kind of strange. <laughs> I think that's what Titus 2 says, isn't it? A peculiar people. What makes them peculiar? They're zealous of good works. 
I hope that will be a help to you. So many times, uh, we know this, we ought to be zealous. But how do we do it? What are we supposed to be accomplishing? Can I tell you this? When the heart is stirred to that point, we'll deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We'll live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We'll be looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior who gave Himself for us. And we will speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. I hope that will be a help to you. All right? Let's pray together we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. I'm thankful that it instructs us in Your righteousness. Lord, how wonderful, how valuable it is to us. It helps us to know, Lord, without it, how would we know these things? I'm thankful You've given it to us. I pray that You'll help us to cherish it, to love it, to read it, to study it. And Lord, may You revive in this church and among these people and in my heart, may You revive the zealousness for good works, which is one of the two main reasons that You gave Yourself for us. So, Father, I pray that You'll help us to remember this truth as we go through our week this week. And, Lord, may there be a godliness about us. May there be something that is peculiar and different about us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.